And the subject of this last evening is ministering healing. And I want it in some ways to be more practical. We've had a lot of theory and we needed that theory. We've had a lot of background and we needed that background, but then I hope the things we shall be saying tonight will be of sort of practical value in helping people in this ministry of healing. And the first thing I want to talk about is the place of praise and the healing ministry. And I'm going to start by reading from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And another verse of another psalm, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And from the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 2, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a people set apart to sing the praises of God who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. A people set apart to sing the praises of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that's it. I mean, the Christians, we're called to be a people of praise. And if we're not the people of praise, there's something sadly and seriously missing in our lives as Christians individually and as a group. And so that has to be the context of all Christian life and therefore also the context of all praying for healing, the healing ministry. And you know if you go to healing services, you very often have a sort of period, quite a long period of praise at the beginning, don't you? And that period of praise at the beginning of a healing service is not, a, so to speak, an order before we get down to the main business. It's absolutely vital. Indeed, you know, if we would neglect the praise at the beginning, less healings would take place. Less healings will happen if we're not living in the context of praise. So that means not just praise before the healing service, but praise during the rest of the week. We need to be living lives of Christian praise. We need to be in reality the people of praise. That is the right Christian context for the ministry of healing. And therefore sometimes, perhaps the reason why more healing isn't taking place is because there's not enough praise. Not enough praise beforehand and during the prayer for healing, not enough praise in people's lives during the rest of the week. Our prime purpose during these, these evenings has not been to prepare people to receive healing. If it was, we would have had vastly shorter talking and probably started with an hour of praise. That would have been the right setting to prepare us to receive the healing touch of Jesus. But in fact, tonight, that hasn't been the main purpose. The main purpose of these sessions has been teaching. And there's another thing I'll say about it. Sometimes, when there's sufficient praise, healings happen without even being asked for. And that's been happening in quite a number of places. Where there's a really intense atmosphere of praise, wonderful healings begin to happen sometimes without anybody asking for it. Sometimes without anybody thinking about it. Sometimes to the great surprise of the people who are healed and many other people who are there. And I think, you see, the reason is that we're, we're meant to be the people of praises. And you know, when our praises go up to God, his blessings come down on us. And God is never outdone in generosity. When our praises go up, as our praises go up, his blessings flow down, including blessings of healing. So that's an important thing to remember always. You know, let there be plenty of praise in the context of praying for healing. I sometimes say that our intercessions need to be shot through with praise, and that surely is the right context in which to ask Jesus to touch people with his healing touch of love. Now the next subject I want to talk on is the deliverance ministry, and I don't want to speak about that at length, but I feel that in the course of five lectures on the healing ministry of prayer, at least it has to be touched on. And I'd particularly like to recommend a booklet, The Ministry of Deliverance in the Catholic Tradition, written by a redemptorist priest, James McManus, with a, an imprimatur of one of the bishops of the London area, which is a, you know, a very excellent introduction to someone who's interested for further reading on that subject. Now, it seems to me that 
with regard to the, the demonic deliverance ministry, one can have, so to speak, three attitudes. And the first is the attitude of those Christians who don't believe that the devil really exists, don't believe there are demons, who have demythologized the devil, who would say that was the way in which in those days they talked about psychological illness or the collective evil of humanity and the world, who don't believe in a personal devil. And the devil is very happy when people take that attitude, when Christians take that attitude, because he can get on with his work unnoticed. And then there can be an attitude which is rather similar to it, that even when somebody admits the existence of the devil and demons, but in practice uh, they ignore their, their existence. Yes, theoretically they admit they exist, but as far as their prayer life goes, their discernment, their Christian life, it was just as if the devil didn't exist, which is more or less the same as the first category of people. Now that's the first group. Then you have the opposite, opposite extreme, people who suffer from demonitis, who see devils everywhere, who blame the devil for everything, you know, you knock a cup down and that was a demon at work, who are always talking about devils and demons and praying about devils and demons. And I think that error is at least as bad, probably worse than the first. You know, as Christians, we shouldn't be thinking and talking and praying about demons too much. We should have our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ who's overcome the demons. He's our saviour. If our mind is on him, if we believe in Jesus, then we've nothing to fear from the demonic world. So you see, um, that can be a real danger and is one to be avoided. And if in a prayer meeting or elsewhere you come across people who are talking too much about demons, thinking about demons all the time, seeing demons everywhere, wanting to pray about demons all the time, well, you really want to sort of go against it. Ask them not to do so. That is not a balanced Christian life. Our minds need to be on Jesus and the things of Jesus, and praising Jesus and thanking Jesus. You know, the best protection against the demonic can often be to praise Jesus, praise God. Mind on Jesus. And the third attitude towards the demonic is a balanced one, the recognition that the devil does exist, that demons do exist, that they attack each one of us at times, but nevertheless not to be afraid and to have our mind on Jesus praising him, but nevertheless at the right moments to pray for protection and to rebuke the enemy, but with our mind centered on Jesus and the things of Jesus, and great confidence in him. Just a word for people at any rate, for Roman Catholics who don't believe in the existence of a personal devil, Pope Paul VI reminded Catholics very strongly, very clearly, that in fact you may not demythologize the devil and demons, that the devil does exist. And in 1975, the, the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith produced a document on that for Catholics everywhere, and the Catholic Truth Society has published that under the title of The Devil. And as to the ministry of deliverance itself, it has always existed in the church. There never has been a time in the history of the church when it wasn't part of the ministry of the church. And after all, that follows what Jesus said. Because Jesus said, we read in Mark 16, And these signs will accompany those who believe, in my name they will cast out demons. And there are many other references in the New Testament you know, to Christians casting out demons. Indeed, you know, to, to leave that aspect of the, the ministry of the church, you know, to, to, to neglect it, to drop it all together, you know, it would be hard to square with the evidence of the New Testament itself, wouldn't it? Now, for cases of real possession, which, thank God, are relatively rare, um, solemn exorcism is needed, and in the, according to the discipline of the Catholic Church, which is a wise discipline, um, these cases should be referred to the bishop who will appoint a suitable priest. It's not a ministry for any priest, and these cases need to be referred to the bishop. But deliverance isn't limited to cases of possession. Those, as I said, are relatively rare. And I think it helps if you think of the demonic and the deliverance as a long, thin wedge. Now, at the thick end of the wedge, right, you've got cases of possession, bad cases of witchcraft, Satanism, etc. But at the thin end of the wedge, you've got the sort of difficulties with the demonic which we all experience at times in the normal spiritual warfare of the Christian life. 
And you know, we're all involved in deliverance ministry when we pray the Our Father. But deliver us from evil or the, or the evil one. So you see, it would be a mistake to sort of identify deliverance ministry with the bad cases of possession, etc. It's rather as if for medicine, you know, if you thought of medicine, you thought, ah, medicine, hearts, open heart surgery. Yes, open heart surgery exists, but most medicine is taking an aspirin, a pill for your sore throat, putting an antiseptic on a small cut, isn't it? That's, what, no, that's how medicine normally is. And so for deliverance in that sense, most deliverance isn't at all sort of bad cases, case of possession, but it's much more the spiritual warfare in which we are all involved at times. And I would like to read what St. Paul says in Ephesians 6 about that. And notice that he's not, this passage in Ephesians 6 is not just for some Christians. This is the normal experience of Christians everywhere and at all times. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So you see there, we're reminded that we're all to put on the whole armor of God because we are having to contend against the wiles of the devil. And we're all told here again to take the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. The enemy sends flaming darts at all of us at times. This is normal Christian living. And so you see that in that sense, we are all involved in deliverance ministry at times. Now, normally, the best way of dealing with these flaming darts of the enemy, these temptations, these attacks, these trials, these bondages, is through repentance, through praise, through the sacraments, and, and general prayer for healing. That is the best way and the normal way of dealing with most of the attacks of the enemy. You know, someone might feel they're under attack, under difficulty. You know, I think you can sometimes realize that's the case when the sort of difficulty of a temptation or trial is quite out of proportion to the ordinary cause. It's, you know, the whole trouble is not demonic. There's also the world and the flesh. The flesh, the weakness of our human nature. Supposing somebody has a problem of anger. There's a weakness in the flesh, that problem of anger. But sometimes they may have a very persistent anger which is out of proportion to the cause and don't, it's very difficult to throw off. Well, perhaps there, there's some flaming darts of the enemy sort of aggravating the weakness of the flesh. And that could apply to other difficulties, depression, lust, fear, jealousy, what have you. And uh, the best way of dealing with these, probably, I mean, it's just the normal way of Christian warfare and, part, uh, and Christian living. For instance, maybe you know, to repent, you go to Mass, you repent at the beginning of Mass, maybe you go to confession before Mass, you offer yourself to the Lord, you receive Him in Holy Communion, and you'll feel better. The oppression's gone. The trial's finished. And in fact, a deliverance has taken place. And that's the best way of letting deliverance take place. It also happens through intense praise. Quite often you get someone coming to a prayer meeting who felt all sort of depressed all day or week, and then they really sort of give themselves to praise, and they find the oppression's gone, the burden's gone. They feel lighter, they feel happier. And maybe just through that praise, a certain amount of deliverance has happened. And that's the best way of letting deliverance happen. And particularly for smaller sort of kinds of deliverance, that should be the normal way of dealing with them. I'll say another thing about even when we're praying for deliverance, 
The normal way of doing it is silently, to say a silent prayer of deliverance. You know, Father Jim McManus, in the booklet which I mentioned earlier, stresses that point, I think, very wisely. Because if prayers aloud can upset people and do more harm than good in many cases. But as you know, sometimes just a silent prayer can absolutely suffice. The less talking about demons and devils, the less sort of attention in general, the better. Serious cases should be referred to a priest or another suitable person and people shouldn't get involved, people without sufficient experience or without the necessary authorization shouldn't get involved in serious cases or more difficult cases because things can go wrong and they can go very wrong. They can go wrong for the person who's being ministered to, they can go wrong for other people present, they can go wrong for the person who's ministering. You know, the, the discipline of the church in this matter is a wise one. And a, another thing I'd mention here, it is important to tell people we're ministering over, people we come in, to avoid all contact with the occult, with divination, fortune-telling, etc. And alas, there seems to be a great deal of ignorance or laxness for many Catholics there. You know, we shouldn't, Catholics, Christians, shouldn't be reading horoscopes, looking at the stars in the newspaper shouldn't be going to anything to do with spiritualism even less. Shouldn't be reading tea, tea leaves in teacups, I understand. I mean, these things are not for Christians. Not for Christians. They're forbidden by the Bible and they're forbidden by the tradition of the church. We don't believe in divination or anything of that kind in any way. And certainly not in any form of spiritualism. So, uh, you know, we should not only avoid those things ourselves, but we should you know, make quite clear that other people who are associated are aware that those things are dangerous. In connection with physical healing, um, a spirit of infirmity can sometimes play a part. Remember in one case, you know, there was, Jesus rebuked a spirit of infirmity in the woman who was bent up double and she was healed. And it's a matter of experience that sometimes a spirit of infirmity can play a part in physical sickness, but there again those things are normally desperate best dealt with by silent prayer. And now I want to get on to the next subject, is, which is praying for older people. When we're praying with older people, and thinking particularly of physical sickness, what are we praying for? You see, if you get somebody of 85, and the heart's not very good, and the hearing's not very good, and the eyes aren't very good, and, and you know, all the other list of things aren't what they used to be, uh, what are we praying for? Are we praying that they're able to run like a young man again, see like a young child, and so on? Well, no, we're not, are we? I mean, that wouldn't be realistic. And, you know, it's, it's in the order of God's things that normally things like eyes and ears, you know, are less acute at the age of 85 than at the age of 15. But you can grow old physically in a way which is more broken, more disruptive, and normally more trouble to other people, or you can go old in a more whole way, in which there's a more gradual decline of the physical and other faculties, in which you're able to be more fruitful and cause less trouble. And one's praying that people may grow old in the second way. Of course, we should pray there, again, as we said earlier, the most important healing, as I said in the first talk of this year, is, is spiritual healing, and there I think there's no problem on knowing what to pray for older people. And successful praying for physical healing for older people may have as its result the slowdown of the deterioration. You know, that they can walk for an extra five years, that they can see that much longer, hear that much longer, and so on. But nevertheless, we shouldn't rule out the possibility that God will do remarkable healings, very clear healings, physically, in people who are older. And I had an example of that in my own beloved father, who's now just about to be 93. And uh, he's had glaucoma from, for between 20 to 30 years, and he's had cataract in the last few years. And I used to pray regularly when I saw him every week, and now he lives elsewhere, but I pray on the phone, and my sister prays for him. And uh, we used to pray regularly for, regularly for the eyes, and in fact, what surprised the specialist was that the eyes got worse so slowly. You know, they were lasting out much better than the specialist expected. But nevertheless, after prayer, when he was 91 once, his eyes made a considerable leap forward in improvement. And the specialist was really astounded, didn't know what had happened. He said, your eyes are much better, Mr. Heron. 
And after that, the specialist only wanted to see him, as he does now, every six months instead of every three. So you sh one shouldn't rule out. You see, normally one could so easily say, well, he's 92 and it's remarkable they've lasted out as well as they have and we all have to learn to put up with things. But in fact, you see, in response to prayer, God wanted to give a little extra bonus of healing there. And so we shouldn't rule that out. We shouldn't rule that out. We can pray for those things, although we have to accept what happens. And finally, in connection with praying for older people, sometimes the result of praying for older people for healing will be that they die sooner, not later. You see, sometimes it's time for someone to go to heaven, but they're held back by things which need to be cleared up first, what is being called unfinished business. Maybe, they, maybe somebody doesn't die because they're frightened of death. Maybe they don't die when it's time to die, so to speak, because they haven't forgiven somebody. Something needs to be, they're bitter about something. And the result of prayer there, in say, taking away that fear of death through God's mercy, or you know, bringing them to forgiveness, can mean that they're now ready to ascend to heaven and do. So, praying for healing, sometimes with older people, um, may result in them dying sooner, and that can be God's answer and the right one. Now, the next subject I want to say a few words about is soaking prayer. Most healing is gradual, and most healing requires continuing prayer. And very often, you know, when if people stopped, you know, just after praying once or twice or a few times, it would be too soon, and either the healing which God wanted wouldn't have started even, or it would have, you know, stopped prematurely. I know a woman whose little child, a little baby of about one year old, has got some sort of handicap. It's not sort of growing as it should, not hearing and seeing as it should. And she prays every day for, for that child for a quarter of an hour for its healing. And the family prays. And thank God the child is now making progress. And I know another mother who prays for her son who's in the late 20s for an hour every day. He's backward. He had some sort of brain trouble, and he's making remarkable progress now. But she prays every day for an hour. And notice, that is sacrificial praying, isn't it? You know, to go on doing that every day, week in, week out, month in, month out, requires sacrifice and giving. The Lord never said that the healing ministry would be an easy ministry. Like every other Christian ministry, it's a ministry which involves sacrifice. And I've had experience of that with my own ankle, the importance of going on. My ankle was broken in an accident when I was about 23, and it set in the wrong way, and then about 15 years later, I had a major operation in a hospital in Louvain when I was living at that time. And then, you know, I began to limp again at times, and the doctor was more or less saying, when it's lasted out pretty well, hasn't it? And we all have to learn to live with things. And if I ran for a bus or anything, I was certainly limping quite a lot afterwards. And I not only got other people to go on praying, but eventually, I mean, God seemed to lead me to pray every night over it. So every night for the last two and a half years, I pray for about a minute over my ankle and put blessed olive oil on. And you know, whereas it should be getting worse and worse, because you know, I'm not getting younger, as you can see, uh, in fact, it's been getting stronger and stronger. And I'm now able to do a geriatric jog every morning which I do every morning, geriatric, not because of the state of the ankle, but because of the state of my puff. Uh, but you see, whereas for about 15 years, I, I couldn't run without limping. And that is the effect of just every day about praying for about a minute. And the next point I'd like to make about healing is not unlinked with that, and that the gift of tongues can be very helpful in the healing ministry. Now, you can have a great healing ministry without the gift of tongues, and you can have no healing ministry, or very little, with the gift of tongues. Uh, but nevertheless, many people do find that the gift of tongues is a great help in praying for healing. For instance, the woman who prays over her daughter, her baby, for a quarter of an hour each day does so in tongues. I certainly pray over my ankle in tongues each evening. And when praying for healing, you know, it's found by so many of us to be a great help you know, if we pray in tongues. So those who have the gift of tongues, you know, use it in praying for healing, and perhaps some other people who haven't but who are, feel called to pray for healing might wonder whether the gift of tongues is not for them also. The next subject I want to say something about is the place of fasting in praying for healing. 
And I have to admit my own weakness here. You know, I ought to be leaving someone else to talk about this, because I'm talking about the, you know, the way that others do, because I'm, I'm afraid I'm one of the weaker brethren when it comes to fasting. But I'd note this, that Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. I mean, Jesus you know, presupposed that sometimes we do fast. And you know, the Acts of the Apostles would seem to suggest that that was you know, a normal practice in the early church. Fasting from food, in one way or another, at times. And some people do find that fasting added to prayer does make a real difference in the healing ministry. So if you're praying for someone and prayer alone doesn't seem to have done much, well, I mean, maybe God's calling you to fast as well. And in any case, avoid overeating or eating the wrong things. You know, many of us eat too much in any case. Many of us eat the wrong things. Maybe some of us should fast from sugar, from cream cakes, from... Well, you, each of you have got your own list, perhaps. But, uh, you know, to eat a healthy diet and not, a, not, a, not eat too much, I mean, is it help to spiritual life altogether, to, to, to healthy human living altogether? And uh, therefore, I mean, you know, that, that surely should be a, a first requirement in praying for healing, that we try and eat in a healthy way and not too much. And certainly, you know, if you know you're going to pray over someone, well then, probably fast, rate, have your supper after, not before. I mean, you know, if you have to pray on a full stomach because, you know, you've eaten your meal and you didn't know somebody was turning up, well then God will look after it. But if you know someone's coming, well, probably try and put the supper later. But I'll just say this about fasting, do not do any fasting which a medical doctor would not be happy about. But most doctors would be very happy if most of us did some fasting. They'd be delighted in many cases. And, uh, you know, there's one person who will be here tonight on our Friday night healing team, who, on top of a day's work, on Friday never eats any solid food for the sake of the healing ministry in the evening. And that person, you know, with, the, with medical approval has been doing that for years and finding it's a real help. And I'm sure that's a great enrichment for our whole healing ministry here. So let us not forget that the Lord did talk about fasting. And then a word about not being overstretched. And I'm thinking of people who are involved in praying for healing or the healing ministry. You know, if the devil can't stop people being involved in praying for healing, he'll probably try to drown them in it. And it's very easy to understand what happens. If somebody begins to be used, you know, for healing others in the name of Jesus, well then other people will hear about it, and the more they're used, the more people will be asking to be prayed for. You know, you, people can just collapse if, if too many people turn up, too many people ask for healing. And uh, for that we need humility. Humility to know our limits. Humility to realize that we're not called to try and heal in the name of everyone, in the name of Jesus. Jesus just wants us to pray for, to minister to certain people, not everybody. And to try and to take on too many, it's a subtle form of pride, isn't it? And we need submission, as I said in the first talk. We need to be exercising our healing ministry and submission, and then other people can say, now look, it's time to ease up, you're overdoing it. And that's a great protection for someone who has a powerful gift in this sort of field. Otherwise, they might feel too well, you know, there's a terribly sad case. I'm sure I can, you know, have the strength just to take on that one extra, and then there's another extra, and there's still another extra, and, and that's the way to, to collapse in the end. But if there's someone or some people who say, no, look, that's enough, you don't minister after such a time, you don't do more than so many cases a day, or whatever it is, uh, that can be a necessary protection for those who are gifted in this field. And that shows the need also for community. The gifts of the Spirit are given to individual, individuals as members of the community, as members of the body of Christ. Indeed, in a way, the gifts are given in the first place to the body of Christ and to the individual as a member of it. And the context for the exercising of all gifts and ministries is that of the community, the body of Christ. And every ministry and in a very obvious way, the healing ministry needs the support of others, the need, the loving support of others, the support of the prayers of others. Healings happen, happen whether loving, believing, praying, and perhaps fasting communities. It isn't as if, you know, there's some super 
magicians going about with a special touch, and, and that's the healing ministry of Jesus. No, it's, 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 it's a work of the community as a whole, and some people have a special ministry, a special, a special role in that ministry of the community as a whole. And for that reason, too, it's desirable, when possible, to pray for healing in teams. Now, I know it's often not possible, but you see, I mean, if, in fact, instead of just one individual praying over another, there's a group of two or three or four praying over them. That's the end of side one. Please turn the cassette over now. Two or three or four praying over them. Well, I mean, that's added prayer, added support. And there can be a complementarity of gifts, which is a great help and so the enrichment of the ministry. So, insofar as it's possible, it's, it's better not just to pray one-to-one, although sometimes it's, it's just unavoidable. But if the two or three can pray together, I mean, that is an added strength. And Jesus did say, you know, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's there in a special way. He's there at all times, but there in a special way when two or three are gathered together in his name. And that's why it's better to pray in teams when possible. The last point I'm going to talk about is on discernment. We need to learn to listen to God. You know, we shouldn't just sort of try and work it out by human reason, who we should pray for, when we should pray, how we should pray, and so on. We need to learn to listen to God. Listen to God as to who we're to pray for, for healing. We're not called to pray for everybody. Listen to God as to when we're called to pray for healing over people. We're not called to pray at all times or moments. Listen to God as to how we're called to pray. With one person we're called to pray in one way, with another person in another way. We need to have discernment to listen to God and know what's wrong with someone. You know, we should use our brains too. We should get the person to explain what they can explain. But very often, the whole thing is very unclear for anybody. And then, you know, to learn to listen to God and, and, and to be led by God as to what to pray for. And in connection with this, some people do have a gift which we often call the word of knowledge. And God shows them things which they didn't know in any ordinary human way. Um, I'll give you an example of that. I know someone on our Friday night team, once when we were praying over a religious sister, and I think we were, we were just praying in general, and this person on the team said, is there something wrong with your right ear? Now, nobody had ever said anything about right ear. There was no reason to suppose that she had a, anything wrong with the right ear. But she said, yes, I have been having trouble these days. And then so the person who received that word, that word of knowledge from God, prayed over the ear and it was better. And I know more and more people who are receiving this sort of gift. God sort of shows them, in one way or another, there's something which they haven't known by any ordinary human process. It's a gift of the Spirit. That God wants to heal someone with this particular thing, and maybe he'll show them who that person is. And this gift can be exercised either when praying you know, over one individual together, or it can be exercised uh, in a wider context, say, of a prayer meeting. For instance, you might be, somebody might be praying with an individual who's got depression and so on, and God might show quite clearly the sort of trouble in the background of their relationship with their mother or their father or someone else. God does give some people this gift. Or he might, in a, in a big meeting, uh, it happened once here in this very room, uh, he might show that he wants to heal somebody's right knee. But needless to say, this gift, like every gift, has to be tested and tested carefully. You can get total chaos if the wrong people start getting up and saying the wrong things there. Indeed, it can be very dangerous. One shouldn't let people who, who, who the value of this gift one doesn't know there start exercising that sort of gift. It can be very dangerous if somebody gets up and saying, there's someone in this room who God wants to heal of this, that or the other, and if it's all bogus, lots of harm can follow. So it has to be a tested gift, and of course, it's not an infallible gift. But nevertheless, God does seem to be giving more and more people that gift, and the, the healing and counselling ministries will be impoverished without it. Despite the complications of the exercise of this gift, less healing would take place 
and that if we, uh, if we just dropped its use, forbade its use, and therefore I'm sure God um, wants this gift to be developed despite, despite the problems which sometimes arise. But now I'm going to finish and I'm going to pass over to Sister Joseph, the Kian, who has certainly stronger gifts of discernment than I have and will speak to you from much greater personal experience about listening to God in the context of the healing ministry. One thing about the healing ministry is that we're always in a learning stage. And I thank and praise God for, first of all, the healings that I experience myself. I have had many healings. I have had deep inner fears that the Lord touched. I've had physical healings. And um, one of them was my eyesight. I had very weak eyes from the time I was about eight years old uh, with measles. And I couldn't stand sunlight or anything, um, uh, anything strong on my eyes. I couldn't read late at night. And I also had astigmatism in my right eye. And when I was prayed with, I felt uh, that night my eyes were very, very sore and I just asked for prayer. And I put my glasses back on. And next morning when I came down to prayer, I was quickly trying to get the right page and all the rest before we started community prayer. And I suddenly realized I couldn't see in front of me with my glasses. So I quickly pulled them off and I could see better without them, so I just left them off. So I praised God, and after that, I didn't have any difficulty in seeing. My eyesight definitely improved, and I'd been wearing glasses from the time I was about eight years old. I can now manage with sunlight. I have no difficulty in that way. But um, when I went back to the optician to, to have my eyes tested, he said that perhaps when you come to middle age, you know that um, you'll probably read, need reading glasses, which I now have. And I thank and praise God because my eyesight definitely improved and also that I really felt the touch of the Lord there. Sometimes we're wondering how God can heal us. And after that, I experienced a further healing with sinus trouble. I, my right sinus was completely blocked and um, my right ear was deaf. And after I was prayed with for that, the hearing came back in my right ear and the sinus cleared. Now, I constantly have prayer for that sinus because it was chronic for about 12 years. I was on antibiotics and I, when I get a cold, I'd have to reach out and take an antibiotic. And I praise and thank God that I've had tremendous release from that sinus trouble with prayer. And I thank God for the tablets too because tablets do help. Also, I used to have very bad headaches and I praise God, I don't get those headaches anymore. I also had a major operation, and after it I had some side effects, and when I was at Ian Andrews, actually, healing service, the Lord um, really touched me there, and I didn't have any more pain after that. So I thank God for the experiences that I have had myself from healings. And when I came into the renewal after receiving a baptism in the Spirit, when people would ask me to pray, I felt convinced that I couldn't do anything for them, but I knew that God could. And when I would pray, the people would begin to experience a healing. Some instantly, some gradual. Sometimes you have to wait for a long time. So I thank God for that too, and praise God that the Lord can use us. And of course, I've been coming to Westminster for quite a long time, and then I was asked to join in the healing ministry here, and I was very happy to pray alongside Don Benedict or other people who are ministering here. Um, I felt nervous starting off, which you all will. Very nervous taking over. It's not the usual way of praying, so I felt very nervous. So I was very happy to stand alongside and pray with people. And when I'd be standing there, sometimes I would feel that someone would have a pain or an ache, and if we would ask them if they had this particular pain or ache, um, they would confirm it and say yes, and as we would pray, then the pain would go, or the depression might lift. Or, and I began to realize that, you know, the Lord was giving me further gifts as I began to pray with people. But it's important that we're not the discerner of our own gifts, and not to launch out on our own. I feel very much part of the Westminster team 
I'm part of other groups that I'm involved in, that I'm not just ministering on my own. I also have discovered that um, people have got such a variety of gifts from the Lord in the healing ministry. Some feel called to deep inner healing ministry, uh, some feel called to physical, and, you know, the, the spirit, the mind, and body, but I find myself on many occasions involved in all three. Because when we start praying with people for physical healing, you find yourself getting back to the root cause of it. And this is where you ask the Lord for a word to lead you in prayer. And if you're in a group, the Lord will give somebody in the group the word, perhaps. And if he doesn't give it immediately, we go on praying for the person. And he will give you a word. And, or if he doesn't give you the word, the person that you have ministered to, may, the Lord may show them a picture or they may get words themselves. It's, there's no limit to God's ideas at all. He's full of bright ideas in the healing ministry and deep uh, love for each one of them uh, that you minister to. You'll find yourself having a love for the person. And then you find that as we pray in these areas that person, people are being relieved of depressions, of um, all sorts of phobias that they have, and fears and anxieties, and relief of pain. Also, too, when you're praying, um, you know that it's not us, or it's not me that's ministering, it's the Lord who's ministering to the person. So it's important really to put the person thinking about Jesus rather than me who is ministering, because people can get wrapped up in you and say, aren't you marvelous, aren't you wonderful? And you realize that you're not wonderful at all. It's God that's wonderful. And it's important to divert the person to Jesus rather than the, pers than the person who is ministering. And this is where we, we have to be very humble about it because it's God who's working, that if pride sets in, all sorts of things can really go wrong. That we're very humble instruments in the hands of the Lord, that we're channels for his healing. And when we are his channels, then he will uh, open up the gifts to us. And we, we will begin to experience the Lord working in ourselves and through us. Sometimes you may be called to pray individually, sometimes in a group. I often find myself involved individually, you know, at a one-to-one -one basis with a person. But I, I know that there are lots of people praying for me when I'm ministering. Often people say that they feel called to pray for me while I'm ministering. And I, I'm never praying alone anyway because I have Our Lady and I have got all the angels and all the saints with me when I'm praying. And I know that it's Jesus that's ministering, not me. That's very important. So if we're open in this way, God can do great things. Sometimes when you give a word out to a person, they may not think at that particular moment when you give the word out that they don't quite understand what the word really means. And then they'll discover afterwards that it has a meaning. For instance, um, when I began in the healing ministry, uh, there was a man who was an alcoholic, and I felt strongly that this man needed a lot of encouragement to keep coming and get involved in a prayer meeting, and really that the Lord would really touch him deep down that he, to convince him, because I really felt he needed convincing that the Lord really loved him and, you know, really wanted him to, uh, you know, to surrender his life to him, to the Lord. And when we were praying in the group, um, I felt that there was something wrong with his heart. And I said to him, have you had any trouble with your heart at all? And he said, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with my heart. So I thought, Lord, I think it's very important not to push the person. See, the Lord is giving me. Also, as we have heard, too, that, you know, giving out words of knowledge, sometimes you have to pray quietly for people rather than give the word out. So um, I prayed a very simple prayer for this man that God would strengthen his faith to continue to persevere in the Lord and also to pray that if there was anything that we unknown to us about his heart, that God would touch his heart and strengthen his heart. And two years later, he rang me. I had forgotten all about this word. I didn't really, I, I, I didn't know anything about words of knowledge then. I just felt at that particular time that, you know, this is what the Lord seemed to be saying, so I just asked him. You know, he said, uh, that word you gave me about my heart, 
You know, he said, I've had a stroke since, and you know what the cause of it is? Drink. So, really, this is where the Lord can give us a word like this, but we must give it out in love to the person. I mean, that person was absolutely astounded. You know, she thought I was absolutely nuts, you know, giving out this word, and I gave it out in all simplicity. But, um, you know, this is sometimes a person can confirm the word on the spot. If people have fears or anxieties, uh, they say, yes, I feel that that's where I have, you know, these deep fears. So we have to be very gentle and loving towards the person when we give these words out. And also, when we're ministering, that, you know, it's, it's, it's to the person and that God may touch them later on when they go home or... And it's also important to encourage them to read scripture, to begin a daily, their daily prayer, you know, each day turning to the Lord. And this is what we encourage them to do, reading scripture, that the word of God is alive. And I found this myself. It's through experience, really, out in getting in touch with the Lord ourselves that we can really help others. We have experienced it ourselves. We have experienced God in our lives so that we can really help others. And you'll find that as they grow and grow stronger in the Lord and ongoing ministry, it's amazing what the Lord can do. Sometimes people feel an instant experience with God. And sometimes people are very disappointed because they have this immediate thing. And this is where we have to really encourage people to go on praying. Also, I feel that sometimes when you're ministering to people, they'll experience a very, very strong heat going through the bodies or a tingling. And this is a blessing from the Lord. And, you know, this heat can last for a few minutes or it can last for maybe two hours. Oftentimes, too, you can experience a coldness. You know, if your person has a high temperature, you, they feel a coolness taking over, uh, taking over instead of this intense heat. And sometimes, too, um, when you're praying, the Lord will give you a picture about a person. You can see a picture, you know, of something that, the, in particularly, that the Lord would like you to pray about. So um, these are just ordinary things that the Lord uses, really, uh, and you can feel his presence and his power at work. When you're praying with people, you'll experience this blessing, of the closeness of the Lord. That's what I have felt when I'm praying with people. So what is important is that we begin to uh, get close to Jesus ourselves in ministry, get to know him, get to know the love of the Father for us, and to read the life of Jesus, what he did and how he ministered himself, and what the early Christians did about ministry. And when we do this, and daily contact, listening to God, you'll hear the Lord speak to you. But sometimes, it's like any other relationship, we have to go on praising the Lord and listening to him each day. And God will open up to us the gifts that he wants us to have. I pray that the Lord will give me the gifts that I need to minister to each one. I think this is important, that we're not seeking the gifts for ourselves, but for the, for the good of the body of Christ. What else do I experience is when I'm praying, perhaps or, um, people have been involved with different, maybe not things of God. I find a very, very strong force around me, or the Lord may show me a particular picture when they're there. Or he may give me a word. He may give me the exact word of what, um, you know, w what I really need. And some people may get frightened too if you give words out like this. Is God exposing their lives to me or to anybody who's ministering? No. He's only going to expose to you what is necessary at that moment. I wouldn't want to know anything else about anybody except God wants to show me to help this particular person at that particular moment. I think that's very important too, that we're not trying to override people when we have got gifts, because, you know, we, we're better than other people. You begin to realize how little we are when you think of how great God is in ministry. I think we should now pass to the next stage and ask uh, Sister Joseph to say on the general prayer for the healing for us. Lord Jesus, we just gather now together, Lord, in your name to 
call your presence in in a healing and powerful way. Jesus, we have been listening to you this evening. And we know, that Jesus, that we want to get to know you better, to love you better, and to serve you better so that we may be with you for all eternity. And Jesus, we thank you for your great love in coming down to us. We thank you for leaving the Father and saying yes to the Father to become man so that you would redeem us by your precious blood. And we call down your precious blood upon each one of us here this evening to protect us and to touch us and to make us whole. And we ask you, Jesus, that you will touch us in spirit, in mind, and in body. And Jesus, we ask you that if we have lacked understanding of your love for us, we ask you, Jesus, that you will touch us this evening, that we want to reach out to you now and feel your touch here, just as the woman touched the hem of your garment, that she was healed. We ask you, Jesus, that you will touch us in the same way that your power will flow to us tonight. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that through you we come to know the Father in a special way, that we come to know his love for each one of us here. We thank you, Father, for that love. We thank you for the love, the constant love you have for us. And we know that eternal life is to know that true God, God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we want to know the Father this evening. We want to know him through you, through your power at work in each one here. And we ask you, Jesus, that if there's anything lacking in our love, we ask you, Jesus, that you will touch us now to let your love flow through us, the love of the Father, the power of the Spirit at work in us. Oh, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you and we give you the glory. We bring you, Jesus, into every moment of our lives, into the trauma of even back in the very fact that we were conceived within the womb, Jesus. We take you back there that we can say yes to the Father. We take you to Jesus through our nine months in our mother's womb. Each of those months, Jesus, if there was fears or anxieties or worries, we might have contacted through our mother. We ask you, Jesus, to free us now from these. We ask you, Jesus, to touch the moment of our birth when we were born. If there was any difficulty at birth, Jesus, we thank you for your great love at that moment. Jesus, draw us into your love. If there was anything lacking in love from our parents, we ask you, Jesus, that you will touch that moment now. We pray, Jesus, that your mother Mary will be with us here and praising you with, with all the angels and the saints, praising the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We praise you, we worship you, we adore you. And Jesus, we ask you to take us through our early childhood years. If there was anything lacking in our relationships with the people around us, our parents or our friends, our relations, Jesus, we know that you know all about us. We know that you know everything about us. And we thank you, Jesus, that as we surrender that time of our early childhood to you, that you will free us from anything that would hold us in bondage. We ask you, Jesus, to, to reach into the time of our adolescent years, the failures we may have experienced during those years and have affected us since. We ask you, Jesus, that you will renew us tonight, that if we didn't achieve what we wanted, but that you can achieve great things and release within us your power now. Free us from those difficulties, those traumas, those difficulties of growing into adult life. And Jesus, we forgive anyone who may have hurt us or injured us during that time. Yes, Jesus, we ask your forgiveness, your blessing upon everybody that we have been in contact with. And Jesus, we take you now through our adult life, the decisions that we made in adult life. Jesus, we ask you to Reassure us that you are taking us through and knowing the needs that we have, that you are restoring our confidence and our trust in you, that we can begin anew in you, that whatever we may have failed in, 
that you have the power to help us through every moment of our lives, that we commit our life to you, Jesus. We renew our promises in baptism, our confirmation when we received you in a powerful way, the power of your Spirit. We ask you, Jesus, that you will release your Holy Spirit in us now to do the work that you want us to do, to be the people that you want us to be, to be able to serve you with all our hearts, our minds, that we surrender everything to you, that we surrender the difficulties that we have, the things that we're not able to achieve, whether it be in our prayer. We ask you, Jesus, that you will give everybody here a great gift of prayer, a great gift of praise, of worshipping you and praising the Father each day. Jesus, we ask for these gifts that we'll find in prayer your healing touch, your loving presence, listening to you, that you'll give us listening hearts, listening minds. Oh, Jesus, that we may hear you speak that we'll wait in silence on you, just as we praise you and give you the glory, that we'll wait in silence in worship of you. And Jesus, that we'll make use of your word, the power of your word in reading your word, your healing word. And Jesus, that each one here, that as they open the scriptures, that you will open their minds just as you open the minds of the, your early disciples, to your word, the saw you and the breaking of bread, that they'd see in your word power, light, and healing. And Jesus, we ask you that you will empower them to witness, that we be witnesses of your gospel, your message. And Jesus, we ask you that also that you will use us wherever we are, whether it's in our families, our friends, our relations, people we meet, that when we mention your name, Jesus, that people will experience the power of you at work in the world today, that you're a living God, a healing God, a loving God, that you'll move among your people, that each one here, wherever they are, in their work, or whatever they're doing, Jesus, that all things are done in your name. We surrender everything to you tonight, Jesus, that we that you will touch the areas in our lives that need touching so that we be free to serve you. And Jesus, that we surrender our life to you, that as long as we're here, Jesus, that we will promise, Jesus, and it's only in your power and your strength that we persevere, that we'll follow you no matter how difficult the way may be, that we'll cast our burdens upon you, and Jesus, that we'll have always that courage, that gift of courage to go on. And Jesus, we pray for patience, that the fruits of your Spirit may be experienced in our lives. Fruits of joy, Jesus, that we experience the joy of you at work, no matter how difficult it is. The power of your peace, peace that you brought to men of goodwill on the first Christmas night. Jesus, you spoke the word of peace when you spoke to the disciples and the apostles. You spoke peace to them. May this peace be upon us in this world today. And we ask you, Jesus, that we experience your love flowing through us now, that we may be able to give this love to others. Lord Jesus, we ask you for this great gift of love. We ask you, Jesus, that you will give us patience. And Jesus, we ask you that if we become, we are impatient with our friends or our families, that you will give us that gift to be listening to them, to see you at work in them that you are living in them. And Jesus, we pray that all dangers, we will turn to you. Put on your armor, Jesus, your helmet of salvation upon our head, upon our eyes, that we may have eyes to see you in all the circumstances, ears to hear you. And Lord, your breastplate of righteousness upon us, on the back and the front, Lord, that we're We'll be righteous with you, Lord, that you will be there in all circumstances. We put the shield of faith in our hand to strengthen our faith against any doubts or any attack of the enemy, and the sword of the Spirit to cut us free from any darts of the enemy or anything that would disrupt us. And we put the belt of truth around our waist, that the truth will set us free. 
and the gospel of peace upon our feet wherever we go that we bring peace peace in our hearts peace in the homes that we will enter peace in our work we ask you Jesus too to touch anyone here with any physical disability anyone who is in pain we ask you Jesus to go right to the source and the cause of that pain Jesus you know the cause of it we ask you Jesus to touch all infirmity of sickness we lift every infirmity of sickness that anyone has ever experienced here and Jesus by the power of your touch now let your power your love flow to each one Lord we just praise you that you're here with us this evening